This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody, and good evening. Tonight, we are going to be talking about a number of fascinating topics. We are going to be talking about approaches, methods, and misunderstandings. Stay tuned. Talk it out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This is amazing. Once again, hello everybody, good evening, literally, more than happy to be with you once again. Great, you're listening to TT Radio, and uh, this is a great uh, podcast and platform for people who are after uh, like learning about uh, teaching methods and methodologies. That is great. You can follow us on Twitter, you know, I believe that is a really cool thing to do. You can follow us on Twitter, Teachers Talk Radio, TT Radio 2022. You can also follow me, Hadi Fatih 18 on Twitter. Uh, if you uh, are interested, you can, I believe you should, check out our uh, website, ttradio.org. And I believe there is a lot of fun to do. There are great uh, shows on TT Radio, so I believe you can have plenty of fun. Great, but let's see what we got to do tonight. I am totally excited because there is a lot we are going to be talking. Hopefully, I'm going to have enough time to be talking about approaches, methodologies, and misunderstandings, and many, many, many different things. Don't be shy, please. If you have something to share, do. Uh, Just join and talk it out. It's going to be really appreciated. I always have a great deal of fun talking to people because when we exchange ideas, something remarkable happens, learning. So please join us, talk it out. It is amazing. So a lot of people are joining us. So that is amazing, really cool. Join us and again, stay tuned, listen attentively. And if you have something to share, don't be shy. Good. First off, no, uh, this is Teacher Talk Radio. This is Hadi Fatih. I'm a teacher and a teacher trainer and also a teaching enthusiast, let's say that way. And uh, I always have uh, had a lot of fun working with teachers, working with the students, and I believe it is a great deal of fun. I still believe it is a great deal of fun after almost a decade. So please uh, join us and let us know what you want to talk about. That's amazing. That's amazing. A lot of people are joining us. I can see familiar names. Wow. How encouraging. Thank you very much. It is amazing. And Phil also has joined. Oh, I do understand. And I appreciate it, my friend. You're amazing. Thank you very much for joining. I can see a lot of familiar names. Uh, just 
share your comment. I mean, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, put down a comment. If you want to speak, you're more than welcome to do so. So that's how it works. So let me tell you what you're going to be talking about tonight. I believe you checked my Twitter uh, and also my stories on Instagram. So I believe you have a good understanding of what is going to be happening. We are going to be talking about methods. We are going to be talking about approaches. And of course, we are going to be talking about misunderstandings. Something that I believe you can simply relate to. Because when it comes to uh, language teaching, when it comes to ELT, uh, there are plenty of approaches. There are very many different uh, words and our specialized language, I can tell you, is very, very advanced. Sometimes so much so that you cannot understand what that is. So the other day I was discussing that with a friend and we both had a great laugh because, come on, sometimes it is incomprehensible. You're talking about a method or you're talking about, for example, one very specific, specialized like item. And then, to be honest, you yourself as a person who has been into language teaching for a relatively long time cannot make tails or heads of it. Good. So speaking of methods, I believe you guys are familiar with a number of methods. For example, we have grammar translation, we have the direct method, we have audio uh, lingua, we have like um, TPR, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we also have TPRS, I'm going to tell you how different these two are. Uh, we also have CLT, maybe the most popular approach or method ever. Uh, communicative language teaching, we also have the one and only task-based language learning or teaching. Uh, when it comes to TBLT, it's almost impossible not to think of Rod Ellis, because I got to know uh, what TBLT is and what TBLT was and how it has you know, evolved into a great way of teaching. I believe it is simply uh, because of, I believe, Rod Ellis, at least how he somehow tried really hard to popularize you know, uh, this approach and this method. And, and then others also added a lot of different things. So we are going to be talking about a number of different things. We are going to be talking about uh, like language teaching in terms of uh, things that we are very dogmatic about. For example, uh, we are going to be talking about the importance of L1. Like, are we allowed to use you know, our students' native language? Is that a good thing? Is it going to help? Is it an obstacle? That is a a great thing that we can uh, talk about. We are, we are also going to be talking about ZPD and many, 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 many other things. Of course, 60 minutes is not enough. I do know. And, uh, and that's why I have the hunch that we are going to be talking about uh, this topic specifically much more. Good. So let's get it started. First off, I believe we need to be talking about hot potato. Let's talk about, uh, you know, using L1 in English classes. And I know for a fact that there are a lot of people saying and advocating that L1 is helpful. And if you can use your students' uh, native language, of course, do use it. Because, come on, it helps. And your students can learn I don't know, a piece of grammar, a bunch of words, way more effectively and economically in terms of time because you can allocate the time you're going to be teaching, I don't know, a bunch of words uh, on uh, production rather than teaching. 
because if you're using L1, of course, you can save a lot of time. Yet, on the other hand, we have very many people who believe, hold on a second, did anyone said L1? People uh, are promoting using uh, students' native language in the class? You've got to be kidding. How's that possible? We are there as teachers to promote the target language. We are teaching the target language, so it is self-evident. We are going to be using the target language. And using L1 is not just bad, it is offensive. So that's what's going on. And, uh, and there are a lot of people, and both people have their own reasons and visions and missions, and they believe they are right. I believe, first off, let's talk about that. I'm going to tell you what I think, okay? But at first, I'm going to tell you what a great friend of mine told me. I'm talking about Scott Thornberry. Uh, I believe about like two or three months ago, I was talking to Scott, and then speaking of uh, you know, languages, methodologies, and different things, uh, the topic of you no know, L1 somehow popped up. And I am always dumb enough and foolish enough to ask these kind of questions right off the bat. And I just asked him what he thought of L1. And he was like really open, said, okay, that's a good question. Of course, we use L1 in our uh, classes because it simply helps. And I was honestly caught off guard. Oh, but hold on a second. How is that possible? Because uh, I used to believe that L1 was always deleterious to uh, learning because I'm teaching like a language, I'm teaching English. So what is better than teaching English using English? Because you're killing two birds with one stone. So, so why do you think this is helpful? And then he told me, of course, because it is very economical and uh, language learning should not be uh, like like a torture. You're not there to torture students and you do not want your teaching uh, to become a guess, hunch, you know, hunches and guesses and a like a game of guessing things and then feeling frustrated. So of course it is helpful. Of course it, it can help. Scott was not the only one who believed that L1 is really helpful. Uh, I also happened to talk to a great friend of mine, Hayo Reinders, and he just did the same thing. He said the same thing, like the exact thing. L L1 is helpful, let's use it. And they both also mentioned, but we have to minimize the amount of L1 used in our English classes, which I believe makes a lot of sense. Yet the question is, yet the question is, how much L1 is allowed? So they both believed, okay, when it comes to L1, we have to minimize that and use it when necessary. But you and I know the word necessary is quite relative. Like my necessary, my colleagues necessary, my students necessary. Whose necessary are we talking about? Okay, problems arise when we use L1 excessively and we use it like more than necessary. But first off, we need to define the word necessary. Apparently, when you tend to define, I don't know, a word, a piece of grammar, using different ways. And when you find out, hold on a second, it is becoming frustrating. I am like using a lot of energy and time to teach a piece of language, yet the outcome is not something palpable. Then you're going to be using the L1 if you are equipped to use it, and then congratulations, problem solved. No. <laughs> I, was, I was reading an article uh, from Dr. Stephen Krashen. 
and Krashen is loved and always looked up to. So what he says is, is always very important. Let's say important. And of course, a lot of people believe some of his hypotheses may not be 100% true, yet we all know that what Krashen says, of course, is of value. He says, language learning is not necessarily a process of a teacher teaching and a learner learning. Apparently, there are different variables and there are different items that are contributing to this item, learning. And one of those things is problem solving. Apparently, something that can happen in class while a teacher teaching and people talking is the item of problem solving. And boy, is it fascinating because, hold on a second, if I'm using L1 target language, then I am somehow not letting my students solve problems. And that can be very detrimental because this is simply robbing them of the process or a journey that can help them learn to define or to get their message, message across by using different words, saying something they want to. At the end of the day, let's, let's say that in a nutshell, L1 can be helpful. No one can deny that, okay? Yet, err on the side of caution. Use it when very necessary. And bear in mind that you want your learners to be great problem solvers. That's how it works. I hope we have you no, know, we have enough time to talk about other things. But L1 was something that I had to talk about. And I believe right now we are clear about it, or at least I hope. Good. Krashen is also known for his amazing I plus one. Yeah, which is really cool. Of course, we are going to be talking about it. And thank you for bringing that up. Great. So let's move on and let's talk about methods. Okay. We are going to be talking about a number of methods. But of course, I am not going to be talking at length about, for example, direct method or grammar translation. Uh, I'm going to just delve into the meat and potatoes, and I am going to be talking about CLT. Let me tell you what. Uh, when you ask teachers, like, what methods they are employing to bring about the best, like, bring out the best in their students, without skipping a beat, they mostly say CLT. So almost everybody on the planet, every single teacher on the planet, believes that he's using CLT, communicative language teaching. Uh, we all know it is really cool because you're learning a language and you have one purpose. What is the purpose? Communication. So, ta-da, okay? So we are, what, what is better than learning a language by communicating? Because that is the ultimate purpose. So it sounds like very obvious. Why nobody thought of it before? So that's why people are like, how can I say, like in love with CLT. They love it. And it is pretty lovable. Let's see what CLT is. Okay. And honestly, for a relatively long time, I had difficulty understanding uh, why CLT is uh, different than, for example, uh, the direct method. Okay, we all, you and I know, like exactly how different grammar translation and uh, communicative language teaching uh, are. Now, we do know because the differences are distinguishable. In grammar translation, we are talking about translating. 
So I believe it goes without saying that they are totally different, like they are worlds apart. But if it comes to direct method, uh, I mean, that looks a little vague. And the differences, I believe, are not that distinguishable. So first off, let's talk about CLT, communicative language teaching. And then we are going to be talking about how different the direct method is uh, from communicative language teaching. And hold on a second. I do know for a fact that a lot of teachers, a lot of language teachers, mostly use the direct method without knowing. Okay? That is something that I believe is one of the misunderstandings that uh, teachers like believe in CLT and they talk really highly of that. Yet at the end of the day, what they do is nothing but the direct method. So first off, let's talk about CLT. So as I told you before, the focus on this method is on one thing and one thing only, communication. So if you as a student can communicate effectively, then the problem is already solved. So as a teacher, you're going to provide your students with like communicative activities and exercises and tasks, not necessarily tasks, but communicative uh, activities in order to help them just get involved in one somehow real conversation. And that's how they hone their skills. In other words, whatever you do has something to do with communication. You either talk, interact with people, you put them into different pairs and you have them like, I don't know, role play is also, or simulation in uh, general is of permanent importance when it comes to CLT. And you put a you give your students roles and then you have them talk. And that's how they learn the language. Of course, you're going to provide them with the input necessary. You're going to help them provide them with words, I don't know, a chunk, a piece of grammar, whatever that is, to help them communicate better. Yet at the end of the day, whatever you do has something to do with communication. All right? So that is like the ultimate uh, purpose. And uh, that's why role play or simulation in general is super common and super popular when it comes to CLT. Uh, that's what you do. And honestly, at the end of the day, you find simulation really, really practicable and practical. And it almost, without fail, provides you with the result you want. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, let's say that, for example, you, uh, you want to talk about, you want to teach like a bunch of words about cities. You want to be teaching some adjectives like, I don't know, because uh, cosmopolitan, uh, you know, culturally diverse, uh, big, small, whatever, you're going to teach those words. And of course, how you do it, you uh, teach those words, you present those words. Uh, and the way you present those words, of course, has something to do with uh, a conversation. For example, you uh, give your students some, for example, tickets. And, uh, and of course, there is a destination and there's a place, uh, you know, that ticket will take uh, the passenger to. And then you have your students talk about, like, the destination. Of course, their, their knowledge is going to be very limited of the place. Yet, they're going to be talking about, like, whatever they know. They're going to bring to the table whatever information they have. And then the teacher tries to help them and provide them with words or whatever they need in order to have the conversation better. The second time, the task might, uh, no, the activity might change, or the task might change, and this time the student, uh, the student, one student is going to be like a travel 
agent and the other person is going to be a prospect passenger. And then the teacher will have them like sell a ticket to a city to a prospect passenger. So, of course, the travel agent is going to ask questions like, what places do you like? And then, of course, that prospect uh, passenger is going to be talking about the places he or she loves the best. And that's how, you know, the travel agent is going to provide the prospect passenger with the best location ever to go on a trip. And that's how it happens. And the teacher uh, is technically a facilitator and you just provide them with the words they need or if there are obstacles that they cannot communicate of course you're always there you're going to help and provide them with help they need to uh, to just carry on and have the that conversation and afterwards of course you're, you're going to provide them with feedback and help them or things like this you see that unintentionally i use the word uh, task because uh, in this regard clt is like putting your students into different roles and giving them roles and having them do something. So from my point of view, at least to the best of my knowledge, it has a lot to do. It, it is technically a task from like very, uh, from this, at least this point of view, in a sense, it is like a task because you're giving them roles and then you're having them do something. And then of course there's a result or something like this. So this is mostly CLT. So you see teaching mostly is happening through conversation and talking and interacting and uh, or maybe the interaction is student student and sometimes the interaction is teacher student yet at the end of the day you're just communicating and that's how it happens and of course there are pros and cons some people find this really time consuming and some people find it like not uh, that much uh practicable uh, in terms of your teachers and students competence because it takes a lot of effort and competence to carry on a lesson and just talk and talk and talk and talk so it requires a lot of energy so that is clt and then when it comes to direct method which i believe a lot of students a lot of student uh, not students but teachers a lot of teachers uh in fact employ is this the direct method how that how does that happen so in this there is specific method the teacher always first off it is uh, teacher centered so let's make it very clear as opposed to clt which is mostly student centered but i believe direct uh, the direct method is teacher centered so the teacher talks uh, and provides the students with the uh, input they need and then uh, try to uh, for example memorize the words and then after memorizing that the teacher uh, has them uh, fill in the gaps or do some gapful activities or things of that kind the teacher normally does not not normally does not just very generally teach uh, grammar and it is like the grammar is like into the words and the words are into the grammar like it is very intertwined and uh and then you you do some activities you do some drills and you focus primarily on pronunciation and that's what you do so there are um, almost no tasks or communicative activities uh, because at the end of the day you being able to produce like a piece of language is like the ultimate result and then congratulations successful learning just happened which is of course not realistic so this is this so i want you to reflect on what you do okay uh, are you one of those teachers who gets into the class and then starts 
like teaching and then pre presents uh, a number of words and then has their uh, students repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and then do some capital activities, define the words, provide them with the definitions necessary. And then afterwards, uh, fill in uh, some activities and doing some activities and filling some gaps and then that's it. And then let's talk about the other, the other item. So if one, you are one of those teachers, then, okay, you're doing the direct method. You're not, I don't know, that's not a costly mistake, honestly, but I believe uh, coming to grips, like finding out what you're doing, I believe uh, is of the essence because you got to know what you're exactly doing because sometimes people misunderstand what they're doing and at the end of the day, they can't do anything about it because they do not have a clear understanding of what they're doing. So I believe that's how it works. So that is uh, CLT, that is direct method. So one of the very common misunderstandings uh, is that people mistake the direct method for commu communicative language teaching. And this is so rampant and so common that you cannot even believe. Okay, so let's move on and let's talk about one approach or let's say method that has a lot of followers. Even, okay, the followers may not be as many as the CLT followers, yet they happen to be a little more intense and a little more enthusiastic. You guys can guess what I'm talking about. Of course, yes, I'm talking about TB. LT. And can you guess what this stands for? I believe you can. So you guys can guess. This is task-based language teaching or task-based language learning. And you guys know why this is very popular because TBLT focuses on one thing, doing things. And uh, as opposed to other methods and uh, other approaches that you fill in the gaps or you keep repeating, TBLT focuses on meaning and practicality. In other words, you cannot talk about push-ups and pull-ups. Let me help you out. You got to do push-ups and pull-ups. And apparently, this is what TBLT claims. And uh, so we're talking about tasks. Again, one very common misunderstanding. A lot of people mistake activities for tasks. So I believe it is fair to talk about how different these two are. Okay, so let's talk about it. So when it comes to tasks, first off, why not talk about activities? Hmm? Let's talk about activities. So let's talk about it. So when we talk about activities, VR activities, first off, can be communicative. So uh, activities are different than exercises. Uh, by exercise, by an exercise, I mean like a gap fill activity. It just asks you to put in, uh, I don't know, an adjective or a number or whatever and fill in the gaps. There's almost no communicative, for example, approaches or uh, things like this, okay? So we are going to be like uh, focus, it's going to be simply like fill in the gaps and we are just super obsessed with, with like linguistic aspect of the language. That's almost this. Okay, and yeah, this is something like too focused with, uh, you know, like 
like words and things. So that is the exercise. And when we talk about activities, activities are like some somehow better because they're not just about like linguistic aspects. They also include some communicative approaches. So you're talking to somebody, you're asking a number of questions. So it is an activity because you're asking questions and you two are simply having a conversation. So there you go. So you're just talking to somebody. This is an activity. Yet right now, let's talk about a task because I believe so far I just compounded the problem. So let's talk about a task. So I believe what differentiates, what makes a, a task different than an activity or an exercise uh, is one very main thing. There is always a purpose. We have different kind of tasks. Uh, we have like uh, pedagogical tasks, real life tasks here and now, there and then. That's not the point. What I'm talking about is tasks always have a very clear outcome. So you do something not because you want to do it, you do it because you want to get a result. Remember, I provided you an example like uh, a good 10 minutes ago. And uh, speaking of that travel agent selling something. So it is technically a task because you're trying to sell something. To do so, you got to be talking about the destination. You got to be talking about great tourist attractions. You got to be talking about great accommodation. So you are doing your best to sell that. And as a prospect passenger, that person is going to be asking a ton of questions. And at the end of the day, the teacher, you know, is going to ask like, okay, what is the result? Could you sell that? Could you sell that ticket, for example, to that prospect passenger or not? You see, there is a clear outcome. There is a purpose. There is a mission. By means of which, your students are more are most engaged, and uh, and and they gotta do it because if they fail to do so, the task is not going to be accomplished. More than that, of course, tasks have linguistic and non-linguistic benefits because you're interacting with somebody and you're using like a, a number of words and different pieces of grammar to pull that off. So when it comes to TBLT, you are going to be fully focused on tasks. You're going to provide uh, real life, mostly real life, not always, uh, real life tasks or pedagogical tasks. And you will have your students discuss something and uh, or talk about something in order to get something done. That's what tasks are about. And in TBLT, you simply focus on tasks and uh, you have your students do one task after another and one task after another and one task after another. And we all know how fun that is because it is something happening in front of you and uh, you provide your students with uh, the words they need or the grammar they need. So everything simply is happening right now. So, uh, so that's it. Uh, I believe right now we need to take a break. Hold on a second. I mean, TBLT is the love. There is a lot to be said for deep TBLT. We are going to be talking about two versions of TBLT, of course, and we are going to be talking about why this is good, why this is so bad, and afterwards we are going to be talking about a number of different things that I find really fascinating. So let's go for the break. Let's go for the news, and afterwards. 
if you're going to be talking about very many different things. Do not go anywhere. We are going to be talking much more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm starting a series on home connection speed and getting the best performance. Everybody wants the best performance for their devices at home, with more and more things needing the internet or a home network connection to provide interactivity and additional functionality, ensuring you can get a good connection is essential. Most people use Wi-Fi as their home setup, so I'll start with this and also try and explain basically how a home network works. First, let's understand what devices are doing when you add them to your Wi-Fi network. Wireless fidelity, or Wi-Fi as it's commonly known, is a high-frequency signal that's being invisibly transmitted around your home. If you have access to the signal, you can send and receive data. This is what your phone, laptop, tablets, internet-enabled TV, wireless alarms, even some door locks and fridges are connecting through to communicate and most of the time use the internet to add functionality to your ever-growing smart home. The more devices you have, the more demand is placed on your network to transmit data. Comparing your home network to the network of corridors in your school and throwing in some geeky tech words, bandwidth is the size of the corridor and dictates how much traffic or people that can be handled. Classrooms are the devices and the staff and pupils are the data the devices need. Using the school as a physical example of a network, during lesson time when everybody's in place, it's easy to travel around the network of corridors and people or data can travel at normal walking speed or faster if you're feeling the need to. On lesson change or at break time, lots of people need to be somewhere else. Pupils need to walk slower, follow rules such as walking on a certain side or in a certain direction, doorways create queues and the journey from A to B during this time can take considerably longer. This is due to the physical constraints of the corridor. It cannot get any bigger, so people need to move slower. Comparing this to your home network, bandwidth is the amount of data that can be sent at a given time. It's measured in bits per second, a bit being a one or a zero. That's binary, the computer's language. So a one megabit bandwidth means one million ones and zeros can be transmitted in a second. If you decide to look up your Wi-Fi speed, you'll find some really interesting facts, but also risk being sent to sleep. A modern Wi-Fi network on paper is capable of transmitting 1,300 megabits per second. That's 1 billion 300 million ones and zeros every second. Oh wow. There are, however, loads of factors to consider, the main one being the number of devices sharing the bandwidth at a given time. Over this series, I'll be looking at what you can do to help you get the best performance from your home network. For now, I hope you're beginning to understand what's happening on your home network and why at busy times it can slow down. Today's takeaway tip is if you need good performance, then make sure other devices are not reducing the bandwidth that you are receiving. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. 
That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is still Teachers Talk Radio, everybody. I hope you haven't fallen asleep. Thank you very much for staying up too late and listening. It means a lot. Uh, perfect. Very good, great comments. I was uh, reading the comments and they are like amazing. Uh, the, I read things about uh, the uh, dogma and also uh, the silent way. Of course, we are going to be talking about them uh, and also the silent way. Uh, that is great. And thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. I can see old friends. I can see great teachers and, and also would-be teachers. So it is just literally delightful. Great, everybody. So where were we? We were talking about TBLT and uh, we were talking about tasks, activities, exercises, so on, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, a lot of people thought, hold on a second. Is that how it works? We are going to be just doing tasks, and isn't it really time-consuming? So it is really practical. Okay, cool. Uh, it pays off. Yet, uh, just providing the tasks and having their students like do one task after another. Hold on a second. Is it? Is it? Isn't it going to be mundane and unremarkable? And people thought, hold on a second. We are not going to do TBLT like completely. It's not going to be wholesome. We are going to take like really teeny tiny part of TBLT like tasks, and we are going to somehow mix it with CLT. And hold on a second. The result is fascinating. We have communication. Okay, that is primarily great and primarily great. And then we also have tasks. So we can have the best of both worlds. Who can ask for more? And they thought they came up with the like uh, a weak version of TBLT. And then afterwards kept doing that. People kept doing that. People kept mixing things. One from this, one from that, one from this. Oh, that is cool. Let's add that. Uh, and oh, that is not that cool. Let's, uh, let's forget about it. And then we came up with something called eclecticism okay hold on a second don't get me wrong i am not going to use the word post uh, i don't know post method no i am not going to do so i do not like it for very personal reasons because a lot of people think like post method is like just putting everything aside uh, like okay methods and approaches they're like clear mistakes let's stop making uh, those egregious mistakes and let's just do whatever we want to yeah, yeah oh yeah let's do let's play by ear no 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 hold on a second uh the word post method i believe is very uh you know it's a suitcase term like people have their own interpretations of post method a friend of mine once said uh hold on everybody post method does not mean 
no method. And I am of the same opinion. Post method does not mean no method. So I'm going to go stick with uh, eclecticism, which is way fancier, and I believe uh, very much understandable. So when it comes to eclecticism, apparently, we happen to handpick the things we find practical. So we get communication from CLT, we get tasks from TBLT, we get this from that, we get that from this, and then at the end of the day, we have something wholesome, something that can solve problems, something that enables our students overcome obstacles. So hold on, isn't it the best? Didn't you, didn't you want that? Like the ultimate solution, that first off requires a lot of competence, but hold on a second, with some practice and experimenting with classes and trial and error, we can pull that off, can't we? So people did it, and then eclecticism helps a lot of teachers bring out the best uh, you know, in their students. But we all know it requires competence. As a teacher, you have to be confident enough and competent enough to analyze your students' needs. Okay, so needs analysis here has a very vital role. So let's pay close attention to that. And then based on that, you're going to provide tasks, activities, uh, and communicative uh, you know, activities for your students in order to help them talk. So isn't it cool? Isn't it cool or what? So that's it. Yeah, when it comes to methods and approaches, we cannot be very dogmatic. We cannot say like, this one is better, of course. At least that's what I think. You cannot say like, TBLT is better. No, CLT is just a waste of time. No, we cannot say that. We have become mature enough as teachers and also learners to think and handpick. Choose this over that. Because we believe that at the end of the day, we have the power and the competence to find out what can work. So that is really cool. And I want to know, how do you believe, you know, do you really believe in eclecticism? Uh, how, how, how workable and practicable do you find it? And uh, let me know how familiar you are with that. So please uh, tell me about this. So when we talk about eclecticism, uh, I always think of great approaches and great uh, things that, and great decisions that teachers make uh, to bring about uh, the best in their students. And uh, that is really cool because I believe the more we trust teachers, the better the result. Teachers, especially passionate teachers, love what they do and they are way more knowledgeable than before. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's go for teachers because uh, teachers have made great progress and we have teachers who right now can help students make splendid progress. So let's go for a round of applause for great teachers working and bringing, out, bring, uh, bringing about the best. So a piece of advice, let me help you out. I know it might seem and sound like a piece of unsolicited advice, but I'm telling you needs analysis is the king. Believe in your ability and try to analyze your students' needs. Based on that, 
try to provide them with the tasks and the things they really uh, need and require in order to make progress. That's how it works. TBLT is not, uh, cannot be the ultimate solution, nor can any other method. Yet at the end, because at the end of the day, you're a human being with different needs and different, uh, you know, purposes. So these are things that we got to pay close attention to. So that's it. Do you agree, everybody? Do you believe that we got a handpick? Hmm? Do you find it relatable? Do you do you believe that it can solve problems? Do you do you agree that we should not be dogmatic? Do you also believe that we should not put theories and approaches aside? We still need them. Hmm? Do you believe so? Uh, great. I hope. I hope you believe so. Uh, great. So let's go and let's talk about one more thing. It is all about the balance. Absolutely. Uh, so, and everything sounds very clear. Things are working out. There's nothing wrong with this. Yes, first off, it is very reasonable. We know the uh, reasons behind that. So, Everything is all right. Yes, there should be no problem. Hmm. No. This is the part that somebody comes out and says, hold on a second. Why are we so obsessed with skill building hypothesis? Why not talk about acquisition? You guys can guess who I'm talking about. Yes, we are talking about Stephen Krashen. <laughs> Because, you know, we have like two schools of thought. We have a skill building hypothesis. You uh, work on skills. You teach vocabulary. You teach, I don't know, you teach uh, speaking. You teach writing. You provide them with tips and different ways. Uh, And this is skill building. Yet on the other hand, we have acquisition. To find out and fully grasp what I'm talking about, first off, we need to talk about uh, learning and acquisition. I I know for a fact that a lot of you guys know already what it means, but let me make it clear. So learning, apparently, is something very intentional. You take part in a class, you talk to your friend, you listen, you take note, you make sure that you are following your teacher. At the end of the day, you can say, I've learned this or I've learned that. Yet, acquisition, apparently, does not happen intentionally. intentionally. In fact, your role is a little or even nothing and that has become one of the major things that stephen krashen and many others uh, talk about and write about because they believe acquisition is better is less painful is more economical and at the end of the day it provides you with the best result possible And they believe, oh, hold on a second, instead of having a lot of classes and teachers teaching and providing a lot of input and output and blah, blah, instead, if you can encourage your students to take like agency uh, over what they're doing, and if you can encourage them and motivate them to read and to go after what they are really passionate about uh, in like TL, in target language, acquisition will happen and the result is going to be remarkable. So that's why we have a number of books uh, about free uh, voluntary reading, 
and uh, we have reading and we have acquisition. If you read this, that can help. And you should not be teaching grammar. Uh, grammar is a waste of time. Not a waste of time, but the role of grammar in English classes is very, very, very minimized. And classes mostly, uh, you know, in class, uh, there might be a teacher, of course, that's no problem. But that teacher does not necessarily teach. The teacher, in fact, tells stories. You may not have heard a name I'm about to tell you. Benico Mason. Okay, you may not have heard her name, or you may have, but if you haven't, go and uh, read about her. Uh, she happens to be one of the uh, greatest storytellers, and she also has a method of her own called uh, story listening, and by which and uh, through which she teaches words, even grammar, and. Uh, research and statistics show that it is paying off. Let's talk about that. We have, uh, we know, a hypothesis uh, by Krashen that is called the input hypothesis. And he believes, oh, hold on a second, instead of teaching words and things, okay, let's just take a seat, sit down, tell your students a great story, and then Krashen promises you that learning will happen, and something even more interesting will emerge, acquisition, not even learning, which means students uh, do not need to pay a lot of attention. They, knew, they do not need to try really hard and their, their best in order to make something happen. It'll happen effortlessly, or at least with very minimum effort. Yet there are complications to that. As a teacher, you have to provide your students with inputs. And that input, which is preferably a story, has two very important characteristics. Number one, it is understandable or comprehensible, which means your students can understand that. It is I plus one. It is, of course, above and beyond the level of your students, but not that difficult, not too difficult that they can't understand. Difficult enough that they can understand. Number two, the input happens to be compelling. Not just interesting. No, 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 no. It is not enough. Interesting is not enough. Interesting does not excite your students' curiosity. You need compelling inputs. And if your story has these two characteristics, it is going to be a walk in the park. Teaching is not going to be something cumbersome. It is not going to be an arduous task either. It is going to be happening. And the atmosphere is going to be very conducive. And your students are going to be learning the things and the stories and the words you provide them with. That is what Krashen talks about. And, uh, and he believes, and also a lot of uh, you know, linguists, especially recently, and especially in the U.S., and also in the U.K., but mostly in the U.S., talk about that and say, okay, uh, let's stop teaching, teaching, teaching. Let's promote learning, learning, learning. And that can happen this way. Uh, but Krashen also have different hypotheses. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, if you uh, find like this something fascinating, no, I've got no idea, honestly. But I do know that it is of good value. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it.
there to talk about it. Great. Thank you very much, everybody, again, once again, for your great comments. Uh, and I can see a great comment over here. Component, a competent teacher has an understanding of uh, most ELT methods. However, they will select uh, what words best in each. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What works best. Absolutely. That's how it works. Yeah. We need those teachers. So, Crash and Help has also a number of books that you can go uh, after, and something that you gotta pay close attention to in terms of uh, storytelling or story listening is that um, there is a difference when it comes to, for example, dictagloss and story listening and storytelling. And again, people's perception of this or of these three that I just named uh, happens to be fallacious for the most part. Uh, hold on, first. First off, let's put dictogloss aside because you mostly use dictogloss in order to in order to teach grammar. And I believe uh, Scott Thornberry can talk about it much better than anybody else. Uh, and he also uh, in his book, I believe there's also a part like a number of pages uh, dedicated to uh, dictogloss. And you mostly do it uh, to teach a piece of grammar. For example, I'm going to teach uh, a story. I'm going to teach a I don't know a piece of grammar, present perfect, let's say, and then I tell you a story. And, and my students uh, should be listening. And after listening to the story, the teacher has the students into different pairs and then have, asks them to try to recollect the story. Just help each other, remember the, par the parts, and then put them together and then create the story. Uh, in an effort to come up with the original, uh, the original story. Yet, Storytelling and story, story listening are quite different. When it comes to story listening, something that Benico Mason does, uh, the teacher tell, tells a story, in fact. The teacher talks about something exciting and fascinating. Uh, it can be whatever, but as I told you, it has to have two items. First off, comprehensible. It has to be comprehensible. Second, it has to be compelling. And the teacher talks, and to help students understand, a teacher might draw, might show photos, might even use L1, you know, students' native language, to promote learning. On the other hand, when it comes to uh, storytelling, which is completely different, uh, teacher, the teacher and also the students together create a story how does that happen let me help you out it sound it does sound uh you know equivocal so let's talk about it for a second uh, the teacher gets into the class and says for example um let's make it like as simple as possible <laughs> the, uh, the teacher says like yesterday i went somewhere and then asks the students to guess Okay, where do you think I, uh, for example, went to? Some says, uh, some say like a restaurant. The other one says, okay, uh, to the cinema. Somebody says something, and somebody says something, and then the teacher decides, oh yeah, I went to the cinema. And then afterwards, uh, he asks, okay, what movie do you think I watched? Somebody says something. Somebody says something, and then together, uh, like the teacher and the students together, create the story. And of course, the teacher sometimes corrects the students because he's teaching like simple past. And then students say, you go, for example, shopping. The teacher goes, oh, I went shopping. Cool. And then he says, okay, I went shopping. And then together, they somehow create the story. And Krashen finds these two of great help. And he believes this too can help students learn better. And this can also 
help teachers get rid of affective filter. Uh, because with the presence of affective filter, something that Crash uh, and Benico Mason talk a lot about, uh, you cannot learn at your best. And uh, that is one very uh, major problem that they believe uh, CLT and other skill-building hypotheses have. You know? uh, for example, you're just focusing on the result. You, know, you just want autonomous learners. You want this, you want that. You want them to make sentences right now. So you, you can see it is placing a lot of pressure and stress on students. You're just asking them to do this, to do that, to say this, to do, to carry on this task, to carry out the other. So that is placing a lot of stress. And then affective filter goes up. And then learning uh, becomes something quite far-fetched. So that's why they provide this and they believe this can help. And we, we all know that at the end of the day, when it comes to learning, we should pay very close attention to uh, ZPD. And by ZPD, I mean that zone of proximal development, the zone that students can learn something. Because you never want to be a teacher who asks more and more and more and more uh, from their uh, students something, in fact, students are not even capable of. So in both uh, hypotheses, uh, I don't know, the skill building hypothesis and also the acquisition hypothesis, something that you have to pay close attention to is that what you ask should be something within your students' reach. If you're asking them to learn something they are not ready to learn, then, my friend, you're just wasting your time and what you're doing is not going to help. It's not going to pay off. So I believe that's it for now. Uh, we are talking about something that a lot of people are really passionate about and they love it. And talking about methods and approaches, of course, can be a great topic for teachers. Uh, and we just talked for like a good 60 minutes. And I did not even mention uh, very many methods and uh, theories and approaches. Uh, that's why I told you, of course, we are going to need more than uh, a show we are maybe in need of like 10 shows talking about approaches and methods uh, but i promise you we are going to be talking about these items much more we are going to be talking about correction a co oh gosh correction i forgot to talk about it we are going to be talking about correction because when it comes to correction people's thoughts and ideas are outrageous some love correction no matter what that is they love online correction offline correction they believe that Delayed correction is no good. And some even believe that correction is not even helpful. Correction is uh, just something negative that simply rains on your students' parade. Uh, so there are different ideas and contradictory ideas when it comes to correction hopefully a next show uh, on the next show we are going to be talking on next show we are going to be talking about it much more and we are going to be talking about feedback and also demand high uh, if you're not familiar with demand high uh, you gotta listen to our next show you know my next show because i'm going to be talking about that uh, as well all together everybody this is 
uh, or let's say this was Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, your host, Hadi Fatih, a teacher and also a teacher trainer uh, and also a language enthusiast. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much. I just saw your names and your great comments and felt awesome. So you're just doing a great show and uh, you're just making it uh, awesome. So love you. Love you. It's amazing. So uh, goodbye, everybody. I got to take off right now, keep moving, keep laughing, and keep teaching English. Uh, hope talk to you, hope to talk to you again. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.